Welcome to the Harrisburg Brethren in Christ Sermon Series. สวัสดีค่ะยินดีต้อนรับสู่บทเทศนาของบท Harrisburg Brethren in Christ, where our vision is to be a thriving, diverse urban church sharing Christ's love and serving the needs of our local and global communities. And here's this week's sermon. We hope you enjoy it too. Today, as we continue through the Ten Commandments, I'm going to go straight down to verse 12 in the Ten Commandments. So it's a short scripture reading. Honor your father and mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. How do you honor your father and your mother? This is not a simple command. What does that mean exactly to honor your father and mother? How long does God expect us to follow this commandment? Does honoring our father and mother look the same all through life? What about abusive parents? In ancient Israel, people who were older were venerated. Wisdom was associated with age. Wisdom came from learning God's word, and then throughout life, applying that word, knowing when and how to apply it. And that came from experience. The older you got, the wiser you were considered. Western culture is, by the way, has almost reversed this. Youth is now more valued. Have you noticed? Old age in our culture is dreaded. It's devalued. It's like a disease to get over. We need tummy tucks and facelifts. We need Botox and hair transplants. We need chin chin lifts in order to stay relevant. Rebellion is cool. Maturity and wisdom and experience are considered old-fashioned and passé. We don't want the wisdom of the ages that has stood the test of time. We want to be on the cutting edge. We want the new stuff. In our culture, the media portrays the young as having the answers to life. Have you watched any of these shows lately? Look at sitcoms. Men, fathers in particular, are portrayed on almost every sitcom as a buffoon. They need to learn life from their kids who have it together. The ancients of Israel would have been appalled at this. Honor your elders. Families with younger children, honoring one's parents comes down to one essential: obedience. Children, like eleven, ten, and I, they need to learn to obey their parents, or they are in a world of trouble. And worse than that, society's in a world of trouble. Children don't need to be taught to love their parents; they already they do that naturally. They don't need to. Be taught to depend on their parents. They do that naturally. They need to be taught to respect their parents, and respect at younger ages is translated into listening and obeying one's mother and father. You know why your children need to listen to you? Because hopefully you are smarter than they are. Because you're supposed to know more than they do. Ah. But if you have a young child, you will discover something about your precious quickly. Your precious has a sin nature. Have you noticed children do not like to obey? They want their way. After mama and dada, usually the next word a child learns is no. You must help them get over that. And the next word, often after no, is why. Clean your room. Why? Eat your food. Why? No, you can't go by yourself to the park five miles away where they smoke dope. Why? I tell you what I told one of our kids once. I asked one of them to clean their room, and I got why. 
And I said, because your room is a pig pen. And if you do not clean that room, somebody else will have to do it, and that will be a great injustice. And because in cleaning your room, you are learning discipline and life skills that will benefit you throughout your existence on this planet. And because I have an AA and a BA and an MDiv and a doctorate, and I have counseled thousands of people, and I have a lifetime experience studying and doing things you can't possibly conceive of right now, I have delved into the mysteries of the human soul and the universe itself. That's why. But rather than repeat this over and over again, for your future reference, I'm going to reduce all I've just said down to because I said so. (laughs) But if you don't like that, I can repeat this over and over. Teach your children to respect you. Because if they don't respect you, they're not going to respect anybody, including teachers and bosses and policemen and God. Make them respect you now while they're small, because i got news for you. If you haven't made them respect you when they're 6 and 8 and 10, good luck when they're 14 and 16 trying to get them under control. The home is not a democracy. Things are not up for a vote. Children and parents are not peers. And of course, some of you know my pet peeve on this. It is parents who substitute talking for actual discipline and obedience. When you ask a small child to do something, ask them nicely and clearly, give them one warning if they don't do it, and then comes a consequence. The consequence can be a timeout or the loss of a video game, or a phone, or a TV, whatever is age appropriate. But teach your children to act instead of argue. Most parents talk far too much to their kids when it comes to obedience. I have actually heard parents look at their little kids and go, Oh, it hurts mama's feelings when you don't obey. Don't you, don't, you don't want to hurt mama. Do not beg your kids to obey you. And by by the way, when they want something, they don't give a flip what you feel. If you get caught up arguing with your kid on whether they should obey, the situation is already out of control. They have already brought you down to their level. Do not argue. Request, warning, consequence. That does not take a lot of talking. Don't beg your children to obey you. Don't debate them. Don't worry about hurting their little feelings. I promise you they'll get over it. Children will honor you because you teach them to honor you. And when they grow into teenagers and they get more freedom, you give them freedom with boundaries. There will be more dialogue. There will be more teaching moments. And, of course, it's always appropriate to answer any real questions your kids have and when it's not stalling. But there will be a bottom line even with teenagers. It's this. My house, my rules. And my house, my rules, by the way, applies to the 27-year-old still living with you down in the basement. You don't get to smoke dope down in my basement or have liquor parties, I will turn the hose on you, I will hose you good. I do need to add this, though. 
if you have a special needs child, much of what I'm saying may or may not apply. With a special needs child, often normal doesn't work. And you have to figure out a way with each special needs child in order how to make it work. And people with special needs children do not need to be bombed with our advice. And they do not be, need to be judged because we don't think they're a good enough parent. Amen? There needs to be a balance in parenting. We're to love our kids, protect them, teach them the way of God, and help prepare them for life. Proverbs says, teach your child in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. Obviously, this means teach them the way of God. But also in the Hebrew, when it says, teach them in the way they should go, it means each child has certain abilities, characteristics, gifts, and personality traits. The way they should go means you help your child discover who God made them to be and help them grow into their true identity. Mark Copenhaver said that every Christian has a vocation, a calling, an invitation to use his or her gifts in a variety of ways. And God has called you to something. Your vocation may not be your day job, but it's something that has your name on it. Wherever your particular gifts intersect with the world's great needs, this is the place to which God calls you. That is your vocation. There's nobody like you. There's a place for you in the kingdom. He said, our daughter Alana, and he's a pastor. He said, our daughter Alana has always had a compassionate heart, which from an early age became manifest in part with her strong commitment to social justice. When she graduated from college, she moved to Washington, D.C. and worked with several social agency organizations. She wasn't sure what was next for her, but she loved living and working in that setting. About two years into her time there, Mark McCovey says, My wife Karen and I received a phone call from Karen's father, Alana's grandfather. He's a particularly attentive grandfather to his many grandchildren. He started out by saying, You know, I've been thinking a lot about Alana these days. Nothing unusual there. And then he said this, I think she ought to consider becoming a minister. He said, I didn't see that coming. To understand the significance of that statement coming from my father-in-law, you must know that he's never been a churchgoer. In fact, he has many questions about organized religion. And he was even upset when his daughter married Mark, the preacher. Well, that should upset you. In other words, this idea was coming from a most unlikely source. So Mark said, would you call her and tell her that? Sure, I'll call her right now. About an hour later, Mark says, we got a call from Alana. I just got off the phone with Pop-Pop. Oh, do you know what he said to me? What did he say? He said he thought I should become a minister. Well, what did you think? I think... I've been waiting my whole life for someone to tell me that. We are called as parents to know our kids and call forth the good out of our kids that we see. To call forth the gifts and the talents. Teach your child the way they should go. Grandpa saw the way Alana should go. And it released her to follow God's calling in her life. The other part of balancing our kids' life is we need to help our children understand they are loved, but they are not the center of the universe. 
They are to follow a cause greater than themselves. I see so many child-centered families these days. The family's time and agenda is dedicated to their child's extracurricular activities. I watched a child psychologist on CBS News the other day, and she said, when the family goes from one of their kids' activities to another constantly, the child, without anyone saying it, assumes, I am the center of my family. My schedule dictates everyone else's. I am the most important person around here. People owe me. That is not healthy. That is the tail wagging the dog. Are extracurriculars okay? Of course. Are sports and clubs? Of course they're okay. Sure. But not if they dominate everything else. That is a loss of balance. We have to teach our children that the most important person in our home is Jesus Christ, not them. Everything else falls in line behind that. Schedules will be adjusted accordingly. For Israel, the family was a school where the person learned who they were and what God expected them to do. The family existed in Israel primarily to pass on God, his ways, his morality, his spirituality to the next generation. Therefore, to dishonor one's parents was, in essence, to dishonor God. You see, God, God has two ways he's trying to help this world out, mainly. Two institutions. One is the family. You are the priest to your children. You're the, you are the main priest to your children, whether you like it or not. And the second is the church. And if either of these crumble, our world is in a lot of trouble our world is in a lot of trouble. <laughs> to dishonor one's parents was, in essence, to dishonor God. The parents are here to make sure the next generation has the best chance possible to love Jesus. That's why we're here. And I keep hearing people go, whoa, oh, I don't want to impose religion on my kids. Bull! That's exactly what you're called to do. You are called to influence them, introduce them to Christ, tell them your story of faith, to, to pray their lives with them, to help them find who they are in Christ and their mission in Christ. You are not to sit back and go, well, I, you know, I'm going to be neutral. I'm going to let my six and eight-year-old find their way spiritually because I don't want to impose anything. You impose a way. It's, uh, plus, I, I, I do need to say this. You can do everything right and still lose your kid. You know, most people have taken that verse, you know, teach your child in the way she go, and when they're old, they won't depart. For many people, that's been one giant guilt trip. That's not what that verse is saying. In the end, we are not in control of our kids' lives. And if, you know, the best thing, the best thing you can do for your children, and I'm telling you from firsthand experience, I have the best thing you can do for your children is pray. Because one day we'll all have to let them go into God's hands. We will. You know, it's, it's, you can do everything right, and it turns out wrong. You know, one of my favorite stories about this is, is, is Augustine. Augustine lived in the Italian town of Hippo. And he was out of control. He was a party boy. 
he, was de- he lived a debauched life. But his mother, Monica, was a committed Christian. And Monica prayed for her son and prayed for her son and prayed for her son. And he just kept on being wild and crazy. And finally, he said, I've got an idea, Mom. He said, I'm tired of this little hick town called Hippo. I'm going to Rome. That's where the action is. That's where the real party is. Monica was petrified. She went, oh, if he gets into Rome, I've lost him. She kept praying. And finally, she convinced him one day. She said, before you go to Rome, will you come to me, come with me to church one time? They went to church. She thought, oh, and she went up to the front of the church, and she went to the altar, and she started praying and going, oh, Lord, save my son. And while she was up at the front praying, he slipped out the back door, went to the harbor, and hopped on a ship to Rome. She was appalled, but she kept praying. And guess what? Watch out. We heard about a mother's prayer. Watch out for the prayers of a praying mother. Because she was talking to a God who not only lived in Hippo, but who lived in Rome. And while he was there, Augustine ran into a man named Ambrose, who we now call St. Ambrose. And he led Augustine to Jesus Christ. And his life was immediately changed. And not only that, he began to disciple him and train him. And he, and he became a preacher. He became a preacher. The wild child of Hippo became a preacher. He became a priest in the Catholic Church. And as he continued to grow, he became a bishop in the church. Well, while he was, and, and, and Monica and nobody in Hippo knew anything like this was going on. And then one day, the bishop of Hippo died. And they said, we need a replacement. We need a bishop to come into Hippo and take over the church in Hippo. And Ambrose said, I have just the guy. And he loaded Augustine on a ship and sailed him up to Hippo. And can you imagine? Monica and the rest of the church, they heard the day that the new bishop was coming. They had no idea who the new bishop would be, but they heard he was coming. And there, coming down the gangplank in in, in priestly robes, was the pervert of Hippo, who had now become the pastor of Hippo. Hallelujah. She wept tears of joy as her son the preacher walked down that gangplank I've got news for you your prayers follow your children Kim and I did the best we could in raising our kids and I think to be honest we did a pretty good job but I can honest well Kim made some mistakes but I I'm kidding I'm kidding I will grovel later <laughs> but I'll, I have to be honest with you The point came where the only thing that could help our kids at certain points in their journeys was prayer. All three of our kids love the Lord. But our kids love the Lord because I prayed and Kim prayed and their grandmother prayed and Mary Lou prayed and Anna prayed, their godparents. My kids have been prayed into the kingdom. We did the best we could, but there was a power needed beyond us. When things were out of control, God is not out of control. I wish uh, Chris and Monica were here today. Today is, would have been the last Sunday they can, they can be here. They're going to... Uh, Heidegger? Is Heidegger here? Oh, Monica. Well, 
Monica's not here either. And <laughs> give me a break. <laughs> Told you I wasn't perfect. Come on. <laughs> I'm just going to move on. <laughs> I've talked about how honoring mother and father for young children is obedience. But this commandment is not just for young children. This commandment is to adults who have adult parents. We are to honor our older parents. We do owe them a few things, don't we? And some parents here today have a tremendous legacy. You received love and grace and truth from your parents You have a tremendous heritage that was given to you, and I rejoice with you today if that is what happened to you. But in all fairness, I need to say, not everybody got that. You know, let me give you a true example of a woman I counseled with. Her name was Allison, and she was in her 30s, and she never experienced unconditional love from her parents. Her damaged parents passed on what they had to her parents and They were passive, you know, multi-generational stuff. Every time she made a mistake, she was called stupid and an idiot. She never did anything right. And as she grew older and went to college and then got a job, they still treated her the same way into her 20s, into her 30s. She was the last child, the baby of the family. And the parents made sure to convey to her that if she left, they would feel hurt and deserted and lonely, and it would be her fault. That's what you call emotional blackmail. Allison grieved her parents the worst by falling in love and marrying John. Not only did they resent her leaving them and cleaving to another, they they resented John for taking away their baby. Talk about in-law problems. Allison tried to talk to her parents about this situation, but they were too defensive. They were too self-absorbed. And as we worked together, I said to her, Allison, whatever honoring your mother and your father is, it cannot be obedience anymore. As a child, honoring is, is, is obedience, but not as an adult. Because obedience to her parents' wishes would have ruined her life. If she did everything her parents wanted, she would divorce her husband, move back home, and allow herself and her life to be dominated by dysfunctional people. And God doesn't want that. No, it wasn't obedience. They would have made her an eternal 10-year-old they could kick around. But we also had to work through other stuff. Because becoming bitter at her imperfect parents, even though understandable, would have not done her any good. So how did Allison work with her parents. And the first step was the hardest. For all of you who are see yourselves as Allison's this day, hurt by the tragic lack of love given, Allison had to go through one really hard step. She had to accept the fact that they were not going to change. And they would never meet her emotional needs no no matter how hard she tried. And boy, she was killing herself. She would kill herself, do nice things for him, and they'd slam her again. She had to give up hope in that area. 
She had to recognize that she needed to lower her expectations in order to deal realistically with her parents. And she had to turn her hopes from getting what she needed from her earthly parents to another. There's only one parent who can love us like we really need to be loved. The perfect parent who knows us totally and loves us unconditionally. Our Father who is in heaven. There comes a time in life when we must take the child in us to the only parent who can fill our inner child's needs. We have, one of the hardest things is just to give up our hopes and illusions, isn't it? And accept reality. But Allison had to accept reality. And she had to give up another thing, which was being bitter about that reality. As long as she resented their lack of love, she would be frustrated and angry, and it would poison her life. If Allison could experience a God whose love and acceptance were total, then she could live more easily without her biological parents' love and acceptance, and it would set her free to love them without letting them abuse her or control her or without resenting them for not delivering the love she should have had. And by the way, the other thing we had to talk about with Allison was borders and boundaries. I said, if they, if they verbally abuse you on the phone, you give them one warning and then you hang up if they keep going. If they verbally abuse you in, in, the, in their presence, you give them one warning and if they continue, you walk out. And you ha- you know... She had to understand that she did not deserve that kind of stuff dumped on her every time she saw them. That was part of the journey, too. She grew. She's still growing. Sometimes it takes a lifetime to grow, doesn't it? I know Allison's journey. I've had to take it myself. I've had to deal with very dysfunctional parents in my life's journey. And to be honest with you, I have struggled with this commandment. How do I deal with a father who in two weeks will be 96, who is an alcoholic all of his life? And to be honest with you, his alcoholism is not his major problems. He's got problems that are so much worse. A father who the last time I visited him at Thanksgiving, and for the first, I I did two things I'd never done with him. And one thing I hadn't done in years with him when I visited at Thanksgiving. The first was this. Although I had known for decades he was an alcoholic, I had never confronted him about his alcoholism. So I went down at Thanksgiving and I said, you're an alcoholic. Do you know that? And his response was that he wasn't a true alcoholic. He was drinking to help him relax so he could gamble better. I felt so much better about that. Drinking to pursue another vice is so much better. At least there was a purpose to his alcoholism. He could gamble. And after he said that, I got up and walked over to the kitchen cabinet, and I pulled out a fifth of whiskey that he had hidden there. And I said, you're not gambling now. Why is this liquor here? And he said, I I don't know how it got there. But after a minute or so, he pulled himself together and he said to me, you know, I think the guy who put in our kitchen cabinets was an alcoholic. And I said to him, those cabinets were put in over 30 years ago. You mean our mother and my sister and all these other, we missed 
that bottle of liquor for 30 years? And it was left by an alcoholic? That doesn't sound like any alcoholic I know. And he said, yes, but you know how alcoholics are. And I went, yes, I sure do know how alcoholics are. And then I said, well, then if you're not an alcoholic, you won't mind what I do next. And I took that fifth of liquor, and I took the top off, and I started chugging it down the drain. You know, I think I saw a slight tear in his eye as that perfectly good liquor went down the drain. Here's the moral of the story. The only way I could have a relationship with my father, eventually, was to accept that he is not going to be the father I needed. And I had to forgive him anyway. I had to let go of the disappointment and rage. And by the way, it has taken a long, long, long time to do that. For years I yelled at him and stuff. It's some of my fondest memories. And when I did that, I found I could pray for him. I could talk to him without anger. Because, you know, he he pushed so many of my buttons. You know why parents can push your buttons? They install them. (laughs) My sister and I make sure he's physically taken care of. And so the other two things I did at Thanksgiving... Like I said, the first thing is I finally confronted him about his alcoholism. The second thing I did is something I hadn't done in years. I finally, with some integrity, was able to say to him, I love you. And the other thing I had never done with my father through all these years was I thanked him for what he had done for me. I thanked him for being my little league coach. I thanked him for paying for my education. I thanked him for all the crappy cars he gave me through the years. (laughs) I thanked him for what he had given me over a lifetime. Do I honor my father? Do I go, gosh, I admire you and respect you so much? I, I can't do that. He hasn't given me much to work with. But I know the Lord accepts that I've done all I can do with a dysfunctional father. I'm at peace because God has assured me he's going to save my wretched father's soul. And I'm at peace because my father is not my source of love. There is another, another father, a far greater father. And I was driven to my heavenly father's arms because, in part because of my earthly father's shortcomings. And that has made all the difference. Some parents, you can't, you, 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 they're so deserving of so much honor. And some parents are deserving of almost no honor. But you can forgive, you can get healed, you can set healthy boundaries, and you can move on. And hear this God accepts that. All you can do is what you can do. And there's no use lying and saying, oh, my father's wonderful. I admire him. Oh, come on. (laughs) All I can do is to say, Jesus, you have given me wisdom for dealing with my father, and I thank you, and I know 
that I, at least in spirit, am obeying this command. Okay? Some of you probably need... I know so many of your stories, and to be honest, my story is not close to the worst story in this sanctuary. Some of you need to start the healing process. You need to let certain hopes die. You need to accept reality. You need to let go of the past and forgive. You need to set healthy boundaries, and then you need to live guilt-free. You do. I want to take just a moment and let you just, just give some of this to God and start a journey today. Lord Jesus, help us to own reality, our realities. Heal us and move us on. You have so much more for us than a dysfunctional past. Move us into your future. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we leave here today, Jack and Therese, this is their last Sunday with us, and I want to pray for them. They're moving to Ohio to be closer to the Cleveland Clinic. Therese has an aneurysm, and they want to be closer to where she may need emergency surgery and stuff in the days to come. So they're saying goodbye, and I want us to pray for them. This is, their, like I said, their last Sunday with us. So would you stand? The in, I'd like the intercessors to come forward too, and I'd like the worship team to come forward too, and we are going to pray for them, and then the altar will be open for prayer for anything as we sing our final song, okay? If anybody, if you two would come up and others would like to join me, we're going to pray for them. Let's pray. I'll wait for a couple of you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for Jack and Therese. Again, we pray for the healing of this aneurysm in her heart. We pray, Lord, that she, she never has to be rushed one day to that clinic. We pray, Lord, for Jack and his sweet, sweet spirit. Lord, we pray you journey with them there. They're starting a new life a new, in a new, totally new place without family or friends or church, or, and so, Lord, in your name, help them to find, send them friends, send them new family, help them find the place where you want them to be. Lord, we give them to you, we thank you that they passed our way. Now bless them, and bless their future, in Jesus' name. Say Amen. Make them few. <laughs> I have not been a great father myself. I didn't come to know the Lord until I was 50. It's a little late then. Blessed are those who know him early.
Mm -hmm. Amen. Because they can represent him to their children as well as to the people around them. But it's never too late. You know the story about the... I, the, I think we're going to let the story go. Okay. <laughs> okay. 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 Again, God bless you guys. Please give them a hug uh, and a, good, a warm goodbye, okay? And...